Thank you, AD. This is sobering. Uh, and I have the happy task of transitioning to a completely different emotional tone. Um, so the subject I chose for us this morning is competition and faith in honor of the Men's World Cup that begins right now. The first game is kicking off in Qatar. Um, I wore a jersey, a soccer jersey, uh, in, in support of soccer. It's pronounced soccer. Um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes, that too. Um, so, uh, so we are going to start with a little competition of our own to kick things off here, okay? So I hope you're in a competitive mood. If you're not, get ready, folks. We are going to play a group game of rock, paper, scissors. And um, next slide. There it is. So here's how this is going to work. You're all playing against me. I feel like I'm a little loud or some tingy. Um, you're all playing against me. We're going to do 10 rounds Whoever beats me the most is going to get a prize. It's up on stage. Okay? So, and if you tie, you don't win. House wins. House always wins. Um, I know. Um, So a review of the rules. We've got rock as a fist. Rock beats scissors. Scissors is two fingers out, right? Scissors. And then scissors beats paper, flat hand. And the flat hand paper beats the rock. Okay, you can see on the screen, there's your cheat sheet. And, and no cheating, no other things, no hybrids. I'm watching you. Uh, and we're going to do it on the floor count. So we're going to go rock, paper, scissors, bam. And on bam, that's when you throw down and that's what you keep. And it's honor system, folks. You're just going to have to count how many times you beat me, the pastor, preacher. Okay. Are we ready for this? Okay, round one. Ready? Get ready. Rock, paper, scissors, bam. If you got paper, you beat me. That's one for you. Round two, go. Rock, paper, scissors, bam. Three, rock, paper, scissors, bam. Okay, round four. Rock, paper, scissors, bam. Paper. Okay, rock, paper, scissors, bam. Again, rock, paper, scissors, bam. Okay, what round are we on? Six? This is six. Rock, paper, scissors, bam. Oh, that was seven. Okay. All right, round eight. Rock, paper, scissors, bam. Round nine. Rock, paper, scissors, bam. Paper. People have just dropped out. Like, you're just giving up. The prizes are decent. Okay, last round. Rock, paper, scissors, bam. Okay, who beat me five times or more? Okay. I hope Tom does not win. Please don't let Tom be the winner. Oh, who, who, how about six times or more? One? Is that it? Adam, you win. Come on up. It's what? Is it the flower? The bags have flour? Oh, it's not. You get to pick one. Thank you. Yes. Oh, well done. Okay. Um, that was fun. Okay, so take a moment to register. How did that feel? How does it feel to compete at a silly game? 
You, know, you feel a little excited, a little eager, feel a little anxious, maybe frustrated you didn't beat me more than you wish you had, right? Um, competition. It's an enormous part of being human. From our early moments of competing with siblings over who got the bigger slice of cake and terrible games of Candyland, uh, and much, much later, obviously, we're having very high-stakes competition over things like who gets into prestigious schools, who lands the best jobs, that kind of thing. Uh, and then, of course, it can turn very, very ugly, human competition can, when we wage war as a form of human competition and rivalry. So sometimes our competitiveness can be fun and healthy and playful. And it can lead us even to become better people when we're striving to perfect ourselves, people of better character and virtue. Other times, obviously, competition can turn very ugly, vicious, or outright violent. So what does faith have to say to human competition? That's our subject this morning. Does God cheer with us in our massive stadiums where modern gladiators do battle on the gridiron? Uh, when we lose or lose it over a game of Uno or Wingspan, what is going on inside of us? And what might Jesus have to say about human competitiveness and rivalry? So we're going to turn to a story from the Bible to help us out this morning, uh, as we always do. And I've selected a short section from the Gospel of Luke that strings together three separate stories, all of them about competition, okay? Now, this, and by the way, the stories are going to feel a little disjointed, uh, but I've, I have not omitted any verses. This is exactly the way Luke has it in the, in the uh, text we have given to us. From Luke chapter 9, here we go. An argument arose among Jesus' disciples concerning which one of them was the greatest. But Jesus, aware of their inner thoughts, uh-oh, took a little child and put it by his side and said to them, Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for the least among all of you is the greatest. John answered, because he's tracking 100% with everything Jesus just said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for his arrival, but they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. Wow, that escalated quickly, as they say. Okay, so this is, as I mentioned, three short stories all related to uh, competition. And 
there's a question in each section that's being asked. The first is explicit. Story number one, who's the greatest individual in our group? Who's the greatest? In stories two and three, it's a different question and it's implicit. So it's not asked explicitly, but here's that question. Since we are the greatest group, how shall we treat inferior groups, right? What do we do with people who are them? The ones outside of our group, the ones not us. So the individual uh, story, there's only one of those, and then we get two group stories, likely because the stakes are much, much higher when it comes to group competition. Uh, If individual competition uh, turns sour or ugly, it's bad, right? There can be pretty bad consequences of that. But when group competition turns ugly, we're talking about a brawl or a war. So let's take each story in turn. Uh, We've got the first one about individual greatness. So the disciples are channeling their boys on the playground energy and trying to figure out who's the greatest among us, right? And uh, this is one of those stories, actually, that reminds us of just how young the disciples were. So I'm not sure you're aware of this, but the disciples in the stories of Jesus are likely late teens or early 20s. So these are literally a group of 12, 18 to 22-year-old boys, young men, bros, um, you know, trying to figure out who's the greatest among them. These are the guys tasked with carrying forward Jesus' message into the world when he's God. Now, the way Jesus handles this is really quite instructive because he does not correct them or tell them that it's bad to compete. He doesn't tell them it's wrong to seek greatness. Instead, he redirects their competitive energy. He brings a child into their circle, and everything changes, right? Because as soon as he brings a child next to him, then all the focus changes. It changes from themselves and their argument and their rivalry to the child, and they're now watching the child. And Jesus tells them, look, whoever welcomes this child welcomes me, and the least among you is the greatest. So what's happening here is Jesus is flipping the script, right? And it's a game of status. So typically, when you welcome people, and hospitality is an enormous Uh, virtue or value in Jesus' time, when you welcome people, if you welcome the rich and famous, the powerful, the wealthy, your status gets a boost, right? It's it's, uh, your status boost by who you associate with. And the reverse is true. If you associate with the lowly, who society deems as the least unwanted, then your status is threatened to go down to that level. And so Jesus is saying, look, In my world, in my value system, the least is the greatest. Welcome a child. Shrug off the status game, the way the world plays it, and do it my way. Welcome children. Accept children. Identify with them. In soccer matches, there is a uh, lovely tradition 
of soccer players walking out with uh, children before games. And this is a photo from the U.S. women's national team at a game. Um, yeah, they're good. Um, and so they're escorted by children uh, before the games. And honestly, I, I love this tradition. It changes everything about the sports competition because the people watching, people on TV, people in the stadium, all of a sudden you're kind of torn in your attention. You know, you want to pay attention to your heroes who are taking the pitch and going to compete. But you're also really kind of interested in watching the kids. It's fun. And the kids, like, how are the kids going to behave? What are they going to do? And the kids are just loving it, right? Like, they're having a lot of fun. Um, and you can go on YouTube and watch, like, great clips of just the kids, like, escorting the players onto the pitch. Um, they even will hold hands as they're walking onto the pitch. And it's this lovely, gentle reminder of what is more important than kicking a ball into a goal. And that is our shared humanity. Children, I mean, what are we doing here? What is life for? And it's a little bit of a reminder. Don't let the competitive thing lose yourself. Don't lose yourself. Don't lose what's most important in the world. Recently, there was a really lovely, lovely moment that happened. It received a lot of media attention for good reason. Uh, there was a child with autism that was selected to be one of the escorts for the players onto the field. And the child needed to wear earphones to muffle the overstimulating crowd noise of this massive stadium. So the player, uh, whose name is Danny Ings, and he's a player with Aston Villa in the English Premier League. <laughs> Everyone's eyes are just glazing over, like, what's he talking about? Danny Ings, famous player, that's it. Well, he decided that he, too, would wear earphones, just like his child. Um, and it was lovely. He was so identifying with his child that he did the exact same thing. And it was this awesome, awesome, powerful gesture, Right? and this bond that happened between them. This is exactly what Jesus does in a story. He brings a child and says, here it is. Here's greatness. This is it. This is what I'm all about. And if you want to be great, awesome. Become the least. Welcome the least. Associate with the least. Uh, by the way, Danny Ings, scored two goals that game, they won 4 nothing, and the child took credit. <laughs> Perfect. All right, on to the next two stories where the stakes get higher. Group competition. So we have in that second story, Jesus' disciples stop a man from performing healings because, quote, he doesn't follow with us. He's not one of us. He's one of them. And then the final story, Jesus is not welcomed by a Samaritan village. Samaritans are a different cultural ethnic group than Jesus' disciples and Jesus. And when they are not welcomed, the disciples wish to call down fire from heaven to consume the villagers. I want to just take a minute to make clear what's happening here, okay? The disciples sense of identity 
is so threatened that they are willing to kill to preserve it. This village did nothing wrong. They simply said, no thank you. So what is threatened is only, only the superiority and supremacy of the disciples, or at least their sense of their own superiority and supremacy. And it's threatened, and so they want to kill everyone who threatened it and challenged it. Calling down fire from heaven is not something we think of today (laughs) as a normal way of solving problems. The disciples, though, have a perfectly rational reason for thinking of this. So there are a couple stories in our Bible where this happens. They're calling to mind a story from the prophet Elijah, who once was uh, sitting on a hillside, minding his own business. The king believed Elijah was guilty of treason, dispatches a battalion of 50 soldiers to arrest Elijah. He must be arrested and detained and brought to charge. Well, Elijah calls down fire from heaven and consumes these 50 soldiers. And then he does it again, two times. So the disciples are being faithful to their understanding of the tradition. They're being faithful to their understanding of the Bible and how they interpret it. They know Jesus is a prophet, just like Elijah, probably more than Elijah. He's powerful. And if anybody can call down fire from heaven, it's Jesus. And we, by association with Jesus, we will share in that power. Shall we too call down fire from heaven and consume our enemies? Okay, well, in both stories, there is a rebuke from Jesus. Jesus, with the second story, so there's that guy outside their group doing the healings, and Jesus just says, don't stop him. If he's not against you, he's for you. In other words, you share the same goals. So you're together. I don't know how you're going to break this down, us, them, whatever, but you share the same goals, so you're on the same team. And in the third story, there's no words from Jesus. It's almost like he's lost for words. (laughs) Like, you want to call down fire from heaven. And it's just like, no. (laughs) Like, it's just, he rebukes them, and all it is is no. Like, don't kill people in my name. It sounds incredibly basic, but friends, let's just think a minute for about church history. Like, can you imagine how different church history would have gone in the last 20 centuries if Christians had just, you know, not killed people in Jesus' name? Holy cow. Now notice, in no way, I think, does Jesus diminish the importance of group identity or loyalty. Being part of groups is normal and healthy. Even having a sense of pride and loyalty to one's group or nation can be totally fine. I'm going to cheer like crazy for the USA men's national team in the World Cup. But when our group identity or loyalty prevent us from loving our neighbor, we've lost the plot. 
we have abandoned the values of Jesus. And look how easy it is to think of ourselves as superior. Oof. Okay, these are three stories of warning. Three warning stories around competition. They caution us to look out for the excesses of competitive, rivalrous impulses. It's fine to want to be great, but greatness means something different with Jesus. And group greatness, watch out. All those feelings we have during rock, paper, scissors, the drive to want to win and crush others in the room. Let's put that together in a group. Let's add some nationalism to it and pride. Let's add some high stakes, like who gets which resources. And now all of a sudden, we are caught up in a group superiority complex. And maybe we, too, are tempted to want to kill other people just to preserve our own sense of group identity. Okay, now there is, um, I want to talk about sports because it's fun, and I seldom do get to. There is a uh, lot of analysis on the role that sports play in human culture and civilization. So some argue that sports are just a really helpful container, you know, for some of our group rivalry, right? Like, let's give a safe container for it, and maybe that will diminish the, uh, I don't know, brawls <laughs> out in the world. You know, instead of declaring war on the people from Minnesota, we just sort it out by having our strong young men bash their heads together on a football field and watch them move an oddly shaped ball down the field, and whoever wins gets a pig trophy. <laughs> and the fans get to say they're better for a year or until basketball season. This is great, right? Um, Okay, and maybe that's true, I don't know. Uh, another analysis of competitive sports is that they simply reveal the broader values of the culture and the world in which they are situated. And this, I think, is true with the World Cup, the Men's World Cup. So in 2010, the responsibilities of the Men's World Cup were awarded to the country Qatar because they bribed people. Millions and millions of dollars. Qatari officials bribed FIFA officials and officials representing all kinds of nations around the world. And so they won the honor of hosting this year's Men's World Cup. Qatar did not have enough infrastructure or stadiums to host the event, however, so they quickly employed hundreds of thousands of migrant laborers who have been working for the last 12 years to build everything in terrible working conditions. Thousands of them have died in the employment of building the infrastructure. This is part of the cost of group greatness. This is what it means to sacrifice to lift your country's status 
in the global theater. Whom are you willing to sacrifice? Whom are you willing to kill in order to boost your country's status? Now, it is, I think, good and helpful to point out human rights abuses of Qatar and any other country, but I have to say, it feels a little weird for US and European media and heads of state to do so without acknowledging their own history. And it, it just, you know, like how did, let's just pause for a second to ask, like how did the US and European countries achieve greatness? Whom were we willing to sacrifice? Whom were we willing to kill for our sense of group identity. With Jesus, there is another way. With Jesus, there is no them. There isn't. We make it up. So we feel better about ourselves. And Jesus says no. There is no group superiority or supremacy in the ways of Jesus. And when Jesus calls us to follow, he invites us to take up his values, his ways. You want to become great, Jesus says? Fantastic. Welcome, children. Become the least. Put away, put aside the status games of greatness as the world defines it and you will find yourselves, you will find life to the full, the abundant life I offer, says Jesus.